Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. Today we will be beginning Book 2 of the Ascension edition of Confessions. This bonus episode is an introduction to the reflections that you'll hear for the next few days. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast Godsplaining. There you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. All right, let's get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Father Jacob Bertrand, I'm pumped to read book two together with our listeners because it's one of the more famous books in the whole of the Confessions. Certainly, there are lots of famous things in the Confessions, that kind of prayer that he says, you know, you called and you shouted and you broke through my deafness, super important. But this one, it recounts a very famous scene where St. Augustine steals pears. So we're going to get into the mystery of evil, uh, some some deep thoughts about sin. And St. Augustine will treat this particular issue in a variety of places throughout the course of his life. I mean, he he penned 5.5 million words, so he had plenty of opportunities. But yeah, this one is a, is an especially precious story of his own thoughts on, on the matter. So I don't know, when thinking about evil and sin, are there particular places where you think we best start in order to appreciate St. Augustine's work? Well, the, I think, well, first, we've made it through book one, so congratulations. We're cruising through. That's awesome. And now we're in book two. Good job. Let's keep it going. With the question of what is evil, how does evil work, why does God permit evil, it's interesting to me that St. Augustine recounts this story of his stealing the pear as a sort of place to start his consideration of evil, because often, or perhaps it'd be easier to think of something more momentous as an easy example to cling to. You know, when we try to consider evil or the difficulties in our lives, we usually think of the big things, the big crosses that we bear, the big difficulties as places to start and consider. But here Augustine kind of does something different. So we can start there. Why, you know, why is it even that he begins with this sort of childish kind of theft of a pair that kind of sets the scene for a lot of the conversation and a lot of the dialogue on on the rest of his life and his battling with his demons and that sort of thing. So I know in in chatting about the confessions, there's there's kind of a question of like, why is the pair there why is it important why is he why does he spend time on it it's just a little childish thievery of a piece of fruit so yeah and i think too uh, like the way that you describe it it's it's a seemingly small thing it's not very momentous and yet it proves decisive for him in his young life i think he's you know 16 at the time and i think it brings before our eyes the fact that you know we've heard it said i i can't remember by who i feel like he was very holy he might have even been god he who has found faithful in small things 
will prove faithful in big things, you know, or that's a paraphrase. But the idea is that it's not like we sit around in our Christian lives and say, I can't wait to be a martyr. I can't wait to evangelize an entire continent. If God would only give me the grace, if God would only call me to it. No, you know, we show up for the little graces that he gives, for the little virtues that he seeks to deepen in our lives, and that we come to discover that Christianity unfolds with a narrative coherence. Father Gregor, that's an overly complicated way to say the thing. What do you mean? Well, it's like our lives heal and grow into the fullness of the dignity which the Lord has in store. And I think that a similar thing could be said of many people slide into iniquity. You hear about the slippery slope. You don't want to use that argument too often because it's it can be somewhat irresponsible. But here in the case of Augustine, he, he sees all of the evil into which he descended as somehow related. And this little kind of non-momentous, seemingly non-significant encounter is, is right there at the start of it. So after having told us in book one about his very early life and his first memories, now he tells us about a small thing which signals for him a big turning point in his slide into sin. So applying that to our own lives or thinking about it in terms of our own spiritual growth, where do we go next from there? Yeah, it's good to recognize, as as you're saying, that our growth in holiness or our, what's the opposite of growth, our, our shrinking into, into sin and vice <laughs> often don't happen in big momentous ways, but through the daily sort of engagements, either with those things that are good, true, and beautiful, or those things that aren't. And for St. Augustine, he sees this, as Father Gregory just said, beginning, or at least a point when his conscience and mind was pricked with the stealing of the pear. So uh, one of the things that we've talked about and that we're going to continue to talk about as we're reading through the confessions is, uh, for me at least, the surprising relatability to Augustine's life with my own life of, you know, here are things that occurred in his life here, you know, in in similar ways, or at least in similar patterns, so to in mine. So there's a way by which as we grow in holiness that our Lord begins to alert us to our sinfulness, our brokenness, not as a way to shame us, but as a way to invite us into his mercy. So maybe let's talk about a few different types or understandings or uh, what, where sin comes from, why we act in the ways that we do, why St. Augustine acted in the way he did. And I, I can think of a handful, you know, often there's perhaps we like to claim this a lot as our own, a sort of ignorance or an, I didn't know that that was wrong or that I shouldn't be doing that, or I should be doing something other. I don't know. You can, you know, you can think of like, Sunday Mass. Oh, I didn't know I had to go to Sunday Mass. Well, maybe you did know, maybe you didn't. But that's an example of perhaps feigned ignorance or a type of ignorance, you know, not knowing what's going on. But there there are others, right? There, sin comes from other places. So what are, what are some others? Yeah, so the classic ones that you'll see St. Augustine and then the tradition downstream of St. Augustine identify would be, like you said, ignorance is a big one, and that's huge in the pagan tradition. A lot of the, the first philosophers who are thinking seriously about this issue, they identify ignorance. But I think in the Christian tradition, we realize that you can know a thing and still still choose against it. You can know a good and still choose contrary to it. And so we have to introduce further principles, like sometimes your heart is just all twisted up and blackened by the poison of your own selfishness or the desire to stick it to another person, and we call that malice. And then sometimes your emotions or passions are all stirred up or they're kind of laid waste by the experience. And so we'll talk about weakness and then concupiscence, which is a kind of you know, fancy word, which basically means that we prefer things that are kind of easier, lazier, shinier, sexier to the things which place more significant demands on us as human beings, even though those things might be more substantial, they might be more real, and yet we find them exhausting or we find them discouraging because uh, human life can be so terribly difficult. And I think what's fascinating, as we'll, we'll comment in going through this book, 
But St. Augustine entertains a variety of options for how his sin came about or how he chose ultimately to engage in this sin. And what he'll tell us is, like, none of these things are a sufficient explanation. He'll say, yeah, I mean, I kind of knew what I was doing. And yeah, there's there's no real, you know, animus against the people who own the pears. You know, there's some sense in which the bad company that I kept was a kind of encouragement. But, you know, like, they weren't that tasty. They weren't that pretty. They weren't that whatever. It's just, I, I wanted to do the thing. And I think here we kind of get at maybe the heart of the mystery of sin, sin being any thought, word, or deed, contrary to the eternal law, that there's a kind of madness to it, you know, that there's a kind of craziness which takes over the human person, like who in his right mind would choose to willingly undermine his good? And yet we all do it, you know, seven times a day, says the psalmist. So yeah, maybe we could talk about that too, this idea of, of madness. How, how fruitful is it to reason with ourselves, ourselves the sinners, as we witness St. Augustine in his attempt to reason with himself and then to talk it out with his God? Yeah, as St. Augustine talks about stealing the pear and reflects on other sins in his life, as Father Gregory was just explaining, like he kind of goes through this list that we went through ignorance, malice, or you know, wishing evil against somebody else, or anger against somebody else, weakness, concupiscence, this sort of what, like kind of settling for easier things rather than the higher good things. Um, he kind of goes through that list and he's like, no, no, I just wanted the pear. I wanted to take the pair. And I think when we think about our own lives, we're really good at making excuses for our actions, you know, and, and we're, we're good at sort of saying, well, somebody else, well, they're worse off, or it was just the easiest thing to do. And, but w when we kind of clear that away, when we kind of have the courage to clear that away there, we come face to face with this reality that sometimes we just want to do something that's not good. That's, you know, that's evil, that's sinful. And when we reflect on St. Augustine's life and our own life, it's not a way by which to sort of just beat ourselves up, but a, but a way by which to recognize who we truly are. And this is part of St. Augustine's journey through his confessions that he invites us to share in, a recognizing of who he is, what he is, these sort of things, um, so as to encounter the Lord. But that begins with this recognition of our brokenness and sometimes of our, you know, of our kind of desire to choose what isn't great, what isn't good. And in that, you know, there's there's a kind of unreasonableness. It doesn't make sense to do that. We can pick out reasons as to why, but ultimately with respect to our our end, our good, our highest good, our pursuit of happiness, of fulfillment and and life with God, it it just doesn't make sense when we try to kind of reason through it with a sort of objective view. So I think we see that in Augustine's life. We'll see that as we get into book two here and, and through the rest of the books. But we can also see that in our own lives if we kind of take a minute to take stock of that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, St. Augustine, he's making every attempt to try to make sense of his experience here. But ultimately, he's referring it to God so that God might illumine his heart you know, when you light something up, it chases away the darkness, it chases away the shadows. And the wild thing about sin is that it's basically darkness. It's basically a shadow. So St. Augustine will say elsewhere, and this is kind of technical language, but it'll say that evil or sin is the privation of a good, right? So it names what ought to be there, but isn't there. So you're talking about like a conspicuous lack or a kind of absence, whether it be of, of order or whether it be of, of something else. And so when you light it up, you actually chase it away. So it's, yeah, it's kind of paradoxical, although there are no true paradoxes in Christianity, no true seeming contradictions. 
So when he's inviting God into his life, he's inviting God with who brings his grace, who brings his virtue, but also has a way of chasing out sin. And that is very, very practical application in our own lives. Because sometimes when we talk about sin, we, we talk about like rooting it out or seeking to, to chase it away, which is all well and good and totally fitting within the Christian tradition. But I think we have great difficulty rooting it out because we have great difficulty actually laying hold of it. Whereas it's far more effective to kind of crowd sin out, which is to say to welcome God into your life in a new way with his grace and with his virtue, with his gifts of the Holy Spirit and other things besides. And then we come to discover that 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 sin no longer abides where formerly it did. And this this image with light, I think, is super helpful for that. So yeah, maybe just kind of in our in our final few minutes here for this introductory episode, thoughts about, you know, chasing away sin or or this, this last point that I thought we might get to, too, is St. Augustine talking about his motivation at the end of the day is love. He wants to, to love and to be loved, and we'll talk about that at greater length. But, you know, what are we doing here in reading the, the Confessions of St. Augustine with our own kind of training in love? Yeah, the, the the crowding out or chasing out sin is a, is a great thing to keep in mind because it, it's true and abundantly true what you say about the spiritual component and reality of it that, you know, filling our lives with, with our Lord and spending time with him is he's the antidote to our sin and brokenness. And it's also true that we're called in that to participate in that crowding out of sin in very particular and practical ways. So just a super, super quick example, you know, if we're, if we're have, struggling with gluttony, overeating, and that sort of thing. Well, you know, part of our chasing that out is not buying like a cabinet full of food or that sort of, you know, the, I, I mentioned that not because it's a silly example, but because just as stealing the pear might at first blush seem to be a very, or first read be a very small incident or occurrence in St. Augustine's life, so too are our steps and our cooperation with grace. You know, our Lord isn't asking for big miraculous transformations on our end. He's providing the grace for it, but it's with our, you know, participation and cooperation in small ways that invites our Lord into our lives. And ultimately, as Father Gregory was saying, that this for St. Augustine, for Father Gregory and myself, for all of you who are listening, it's it's all about, this sounds a little corny, but it's absolutely true. It's all about love. It's all about crowding out, removing by God's grace, the sin from our lives so that we can be loved and love more truly, more effectively, more holy, particularly by our God, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so, you know, another way to describe sin is you prefer a lower good to a higher good, and in preferring it, you kind of displace that higher good. So, like, you might prefer getting a lot of sleep on a Sunday morning to go to Sunday Mass. Not you, the listener, but other people might. And so, yeah, we have to contend with the fact that we do, in, in effect, what we love, and that if we're going to grow— you know, and heal as Christians, it will mean a kind of training in loves. So part of our engagement with this text, these confessions of St. Augustine, is we think about it as a kind of training ground of love. So we're exposing ourselves to God, to his revelation in grace, to his working in the life of St. Augustine, so that in being inspired and illumined by that witness, we might be empowered and emboldened to follow after it, because our love and our consciousness of being loved has been fortified as a fruit of it. So we're looking forward to reading book two with you in these next few days. Uh, yeah, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. <laughs>